0: Arabic is the official language of more than 27 countries, and there are more than 400 million speakers of the language worldwide. Yet in the US, for example, less than 1% of students study Arabic. Studies have shown that those who speak a second language not only earn more, but are in higher level positions than their monolingual counterparts. And there's no shortage of studies that point to the benefits of students at the K-12 level learning a new language. The National Research Council in 2007 found that children who study a foreign language show greater cognitive development in areas such as mental flexibility, creativity and higher order thinking skills. Qatar Foundation International inspires meaningful connections to the Arab world by creating a global community of diverse learners and educators, connecting them through effective and collaborative learning environments inside and outside the classroom. Qatar Foundation International builds bridges across cultures by increasing the number of K-12 students in the Americas and the United Kingdom with a good knowledge and understanding of Arabic language and culture by increasing the number and quality of Arabic programs in state and public charter schools in the United States and other countries. Qatar Foundation International supports the teaching of the Arabic language through grant-giving and programming activities while increasing and professionalising the supply of highly qualified teachers of Arabic, thus raising the visibility of a growing profession through grants, professional development and free online resources. For more information on free teaching materials and available grants, please go to qfi.org and ispeakarabic.com. And now, a quick message from our friends at Class Central. It's been more than half a decade since free online courses from Stanford kicked off the modern MOOC or Massive Online Open Courses movement. Since then, more than 700 universities around the world have launched MOOCs, and more than 60 million people have taken at least one course. Class Central has been keeping track of the MOOC space right from the beginning. Over 10 million learners have used Class Central to find and review online courses. As the number one search engine for online courses, Class Central provides a comprehensive listing of more than 8,000 MOOCs. Class Central's MOOC report blog contains the most comprehensive coverage of the industry, including a recent listing of the top 50 MOOCs of all time. To find out what's up, down, new or just slightly left field in the world of online courses, head to www.class-central.com forward slash report. Hello everyone and welcome to this fourth part of the ASU GSV Summit series of 10 episodes on the EdTech podcast. My name is Sophie Bailey and you are very welcome. This week we're getting into the fascinating world of China and EdTech. According to a 2016 OECD report, China's investment in education has increased at a rate of 19% on average in the last 10 years. Chinese education law requires increased government appropriations for education at all levels proportional to the growth of the national economy. As such, China's educational expenditure per student as well as teacher salaries should see continued growth. And I can hear a collected sigh of that's not fair from our UK and US educators listening in and wishing that was the case everywhere else. Currently, the Ministry of Education has set four areas of priority, one, rural, remote, poor and minority areas, two, primary education in rural areas, vocational education and preschool education, three, subsidies for students from poor families and four, building a high quality team of teachers. The introduction of a new curriculum since 2001 has also diversified the learning on offer, with more programmes aimed at improving students' creativity and research capabilities, as well as helping students develop a sense of social responsibility through practical experiences, including technology. And whilst in 2016 both China and the US have seen a dip in funding for edtech startups, Chinese edtech startups still raised US$1.54 billion in 2016, outweighing the volume of EdTech deals confirmed in the US. Budget in ICT and EdTech is also increasing, reaching over US$40 billion, and online learning is now used by more than 100 million Chinese learners, with an annual growth rate of 13%. We will hear from many of these startups today, including newest EdTech unicorn on the block, Cindy Mai, CEO of VIPKID, plus Yi Wang, CEO of Lulu Xiao, Dun Zhao, co-founder of Homework Together, Joy Chen, executive advisor for the international business development part of the Tao Education Group, and also Pai Yu, uh, head of the Ed Stars program at Tao Education, and finally Sophie Chen, partner with JMD EDU. We'll be covering everything from language learning, edtech accelerators, international and domestic education systems, importing and exporting edtech and getting to grips with the Chinese educational landscape. If you're interested in all that, check out the reports section of the EdTech podcast website where there are some great public reports on China and EdTech. And what's more, you should also check out additional China and EdTech content from the ASU GSV Summit team, including videos on this topic in our show notes, weekly email, or via the ASU GSV Summit website, asugsvsummit.com, where the whole series is listed. This week's extras include contributions from Education Week, Arizona State University, Coursera, and many of our podcast guests. But first, before we kick off with this week's episode, here's Michael Moe with the GSV Cap perspective on China and EdTech to set us up for this week's episode.
1: So, over the last several years at our ASU GSV Summit, you know, China has been a, a key feature because it has become so important. And we've had a number of people participate in the event, from Cindy Mee from VIP Kids, Tom Zhang from TAL Education, Rick Levin, who was the former president of Yale University, but obviously Yale's had a 20-year-plus you know, history in China, Andrew Ng, who's the founder of Coursera, um, and, 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 and so forth, you know, Chris Whittle with his new Whittle Schools. Um, a lot of their focus is Asia and specifically China so I do think um, this has been an area that's been important for a while and I think what we're saying with both this event and this podcast is it's only going to become more important and critical to, to be part of to really participate in where the, the greatest opportunities are going to be created China is really the center of the enormous economic activity and growth of Asia overall it's what we call a mega trend of V-chips, which, as you look at the, the leaders of the global economy as we look ahead, it's these V-chips, Vietnam, China, Indonesia, India, the Philippines, which really are going to be the economic engine of growth. Demographics play to the V-chips, you know, unlike America and Europe, which was the economic engine of the last 100 years. Um, you have a young population. You have a huge emphasis on education. And you have these mega trends that play to China specifically, a hugely mobile population. You have a huge emphasis on education and knowledge economy. And third, urbanization. Just to put a little context around that urbanization piece, in China um, there's 160 cities with a million or more of a population contrasted to the United States, which has just 10. Yeah, so when you look at the – Official population of Shanghai, it's 24 million people. But according to demographers, when you actually look at the cell phone traffic and other factors, um, the, the real population is closer to 40 million. That's larger than the entire country of Canada. Xi'an, which is the 10th largest city in China, has 13 million people. It's larger than Sweden, and you've never heard of it before. You know, in terms of how people spend their money. In the United States, 33% is spent on housing. Just 10% is spent in Asia on housing. Yet when you look at education in the United States, it's 2%. Asia, it's 15%. So you just have this enormous wave and emphasis on, on learning um, and tremendous opportunity that's taking place um, in China specifically. In 2016 alone, there was $230 billion um, raised by Chinese venture capital funds. When you look at capital deployed, Shanghai and Beijing together um, had as much as Silicon Valley. So you're seeing tremendous amount of uh, venture activity in the Chinese market. When you look at the overall capital markets, the five largest market cap companies in the world are technology companies. It's Apple, it's Google, It's Amazon, it's Facebook, and it's Microsoft. But when you look at the seventh and eighth largest market cap companies in the world, um, it's Alibaba and Tencent. And not only are these based in China, which is interesting, but these companies didn't exist 20 years ago. So you're seeing this enormous amount of growth in financial and enterprise value that's being created because of the growth, because of the uh, forward opportunities. Well, recently – I think there's a huge uh, exclamation point put on um, education technology overall, but certainly the Chinese market when VIP kids raised $200 million led by Sequoia and Tencent um, and, and Cindy Mee, um, the, the founder of, of VIP kids became the first female um, unicorn CEO in the education technology space. Um, you also have uh, Leo, Lee, Shi Wu raised $100 million in July from China Media Capital, Wu Capital, IDG, and GGV. Um, This is an English learning mobile app that helps users users learn, speak English. Uh, The founder um, is is from China, went to Princeton, worked at Google. Again, very exciting technology and and growth opportunity. Uh, And and one of the things I'd like to do is just do a commercial for an invitation-only event that we're hosting uh, in, in partnership with Tao in Beijing at the end of November, we're really focused on what um, the, the challenges and opportunities in the Chinese market. And really, it's a global education technology event. And we have some very significant uh, keynotes that we'll be announcing soon. But you know, some of the key issues you know include you know the Great Firewall of China, which blocks American companies' websites such as Google and Facebook, and that's. An important um, issue to understand: um, the mobile technology infrastructure is built on existing platforms such as WeChat. I mean, if you want to do business and communicate with Chinese people, you better be on WeChat and understand how all that works. The local knowledge of existing Chinese market really trumps what Westerners understand about China. You know, you see what Didi did versus Uber, ultimately kind of forcing Uber's surrender in the in the Chinese market. And, you know, the censorship of third-party applications is a big issue to understand. So those, I think, are the kind of key issues I mentioned. You know, the summit that we're having in Beijing at the end of November, we think is going to be an outstanding time for entrepreneurs, investors, industry people to really um, get deep connectivity and knowledge of, of how to, to navigate, you know, in this enormous opportunity of China.
0: Thanks, Michael. A big shout out to the ASU GSV Summit, Class Central and the Qatar Foundation International for sponsoring this week's episode. And congratulations this week to Haz Yate from the e-learning unit at Queen Mary University of London for winning our competition and the free ticket to get in Beijing. Okay, here we go. Episode 83. And let us know what you think via Twitter at Podcast EdTech and at ASU GSV Summit. So I'm delighted to be speaking with Joy Chen, who's Executive Advisor and, of International Business Development with the Tao Education Group. So welcome, Joy. Hi, Sophie. Thanks for having me. And we're speaking to you today from Paolo Alto in the Silicon Valley. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. That's where I am based now. Okay, fantastic. So for those people listening who haven't heard of Tao uh, Education Group, could you describe the business briefly and what your mission is in education as well?
2: Yes, actually, TAL is the initial name for Tomorrow Advancing Life, and we are a leading education and technology company in China. We are the public company in New York Stock Exchange Market. Our ticker is TAL. And we're committed to improve learning by integrating technology and the Internet into education. And by now, TEL has over 500 learning centers in over 30 cities in China. And we have a total student enrollment of 3.9 million as of fiscal year, year 2017. And uh, we also promote education through our investments in ventures uh, such as uh, Minerva Schools in Newton and Bali.
0: Okay, so you invest in other edtech ventures as well. Yes, that's
2: right. And that's also one of my initiatives, uh, which is helping uh, this company to
0: do overseas business development, uh, investment and merge acquisition. So that's what I was going to ask. So you, you explained the kind of reach of Tao in China. What's kind of on the horizon for Tao internationally in terms of setting up some of those study initiatives internationally? Whereabouts are you looking and, and what's the scale of your ambition as well? Okay, great question. So uh,
2: we are looking to um, a couple of things. The first four is I'm here to uh, help the company to establish the great partnership, uh, business relationship with the large education companies uh, uh, overseas, and also uh, trying to work with uh, universities. We have uh, done the partnership with MIT. We worked with their Media Lab. Uh, We are going to work on uh, the Scratch uh, programming language. We try to co-design, develop uh, the Scratch curriculum for the kids in China so they can have a better education uh, to uh, know how to use Scratch. So uh, another area is the investment side. So uh, nowadays we are doing lots of investment in different areas. the couple focused uh, growth sectors we are focusing on now. One is uh, the early education Mm -hmm. and also the STEAM-related programming side and also K-12 learning, which is still the largest growing uh, sector uh, for our own business as well and also international education
0: that's interesting because i feel that generally speaking early years sometimes feels a bit left out there's lots of focus Mm on k-12 higher education certainly on steam so Mm -hmm. where are you seeing the unique opportunities in early years So uh, now uh,
2: China government allows two children per family. Uh, This means huge opportunities uh, in early education market. So that's why we are focusing on the early education sector's investment. Uh, We're expecting to have like a, 20 million newborns each year starting from uh, this year year 2017. So we actually are going to have a baby booming age in China. So with that kind of many newborn babies, they are going to need lots of attention and uh, great programs, uh, product services to uh, help them to grow, to learn uh, at their early age. When you talk about bringing the internet into education, what does that mean for you? Okay, great question. So um, we are now paying more and more attention into how to leverage the internet and technology to uh, empower the education. So we are looking to the massive open online courses and, and also we're looking to the education technologies uh, which has uh, artificial intelligence behind it uh, so that we can uh, really uh, making sure kids can have their personalized learning uh, according to their own personal learning needs, learning styles, and the learning pace.
0: So we'll move on now. So this week's episode is on China and edtech. So Mm -hmm. China is the hot ticket in edtech right now, or so it seems. So why do you think that is? Great question. Um, I think education technology itself is a
2: growing and evolving industry globally. And you're right, China is a hot ticket in this industry now. I can think about a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is from the funding perspective. I've seen lots of capital money getting into this industry from institutional investors, personal investors and the government. And especially Chinese government is paying lots of attention into attack. Uh, it has invested a record of 1 billion US dollars in edtech tech startups in year 2015. And ever since, the investment in that area has been on the rise. And the government has also announced it would invest. Thirty billion U.S. dollars in venture capital uh, in startups by year 2020. So I think that's one of the reasons. And another reason is the talents. Aside from the funding, China is also attracting its tech-savvy brains overseas back home, providing them with local training, better compensation. I believe those are the people who will give education technology a big boost in China. And another thing I can think about is the consumer's needs. As you know, China is a country with large population. And also, we are a country that combines attributes from and shares challenges with education system in both highly developed and less developed countries, uh, somewhere with a significant urban population as well as large population in rural areas. So I can see education technology can provide best solution to cover those two different populations.
0: Yes, and you've got the backdrop of sort of increased spending in edtech in China versus a sort of budget restraint, certainly in the UK edtech market anyway, Mm -hmm. around uh, education generally, and then a sort of lack of government opinion on edtech. So that's created a bit of a vacuum, I think, in terms of activity somewhat. Mm -hmm. So a few more questions. What are the education problems and opportunities in China which need solving? A great question. Um, To me,
2: problems and opportunities always go hand in hand. One of the biggest challenges uh, in China is the huge population. We have a population about 1.5. Four billion as of now, and I think because of that, in the school, you see large classrooms usually uh, have over 40 or even 50 students. However, large populations also uh, brings huge education needs. Parents, students have tons of education needs. It gives education companies opportunities to help them with their services and products. And another big challenge now we are facing is the unequal access to education resources. I'm talking about Tier 1 cities uh, versus the rest, developed east versus less developed west. So um, that's another thing. And another one big challenge is our uniformed public education system, which probably you guys have heard about. That focuses a lot on the exam preparation, However, this also gives chances to education companies, provides education content product services, because we can't convince students to drop out of school to pursue a completely different and uncertain route, but we can provide different learning values uh, to improve students' overall learning experience. Those can be the added values uh, to the traditional Chinese educational system. Those programs can be STEAM education project-based learning. those very interesting and attractive to those students who are inside the public school system.
0: That's very interesting. And on your travels internationally and um, speaking to the different companies that you do, what particularly inspires you in this space currently? Oh,
2: the technology itself, especially how we're leveraging technology and internet to have those kind of so different, attractive, interesting learning programs developed, designed for kids at different age, at different learning paces. And uh, another thing is we can have a coverage of tons of students. It's not like the traditional kind of offline training centers. Now, bringing those learning programs, learning content online, lots of people, lots of students can access to it, no matter where they are, no matter they are accessing at what kind of
0: different time zone. And finally, so final question, um, what are the resources, people or book recommendations that have had an impact on you or your thinking that you'd like to share with the community listening in as well? Okay,
2: so resources can be, um, I'm now lucky, I'm, my previous company has been acquired by TEL and now I'm working for TEL. And because of working for TEL, it provides me a great platform. And I'm exposed to many interesting things in education area. I can see myself doing things to benefit more families and uh, kids. So that's one. And another one is because of uh, what I'm doing, I get access to different conferences and meeting interesting people. And uh, although I consider myself a newcomer in Silicon Valley, but I'm lucky enough to uh, get opportunities to work with and partner with the world-leading uh, VC firms and the influential investors in the edtech area. So lots of learning there, which is very inspiring and also uh, very educational uh, itself. And the book I can think about, uh, the first book is Tuesday with Morris. I'm not so sure if you've heard about that book. It's a book talking about um, uh, someone who's old, uh, but patient-wise. Uh, before he passed away, he spent every Tuesday with one of his students talking a lot about greatest uh, life lessons. Uh, so it's kind of a great book help you to see the world differently and also get some sound
0: advice to help us uh, make our way through. Sounds philosophical as well.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. But you were also mentioning the event that you have been working on uh, busily over the summer. Yep, yeah. So what we're doing is we are partnering
2: with uh, GSV. Uh, we met at ASU GSV uh, the springtime. Yeah. And by the end of November, this coming November, we are going to have another similar conference happening in China, in Beijing, which uh, is called a GES. Global Education Summit. Uh, We are planning to bring together 500 of the industry's top CEOs, entrepreneurs, investors, educators, and policymakers from China and across the globe.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Joy, for your time today. Thank you so much. So I'm really delighted to connect with Dun Ziao, who's the co-founder of Homework Together. Uh, Excellent. So welcome, Dun, to the EdTech podcast.
3: Thank you, Sophie. It's an honor.
0: Could you give us an overview for those listening about what Homework Together is? And, you know, just to give us a sense of what you're doing here at ASU GSV Summit as well.
3: Of course. So we are the largest online learning platform for k-12 in china uh, so we connect the three core users in k-12 teachers students and parents our uh, main product is homework as the name implies uh, we get st- uh, teachers to assign homework on our platform the students come and uh, do and submit the homework and then we get feedbacks to students teachers and parents uh, at the moment we are in uh, over 100,000 uh, schools with over 40 million uh, users uh, and uh, Every day, uh, over 100 million problems uh, are solved on our platform. And we're really excited uh, because um, there are over 200 million students and over 400 million uh, parents in China. And I think this concept can be expanded globally as well. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that, that's why I'm in ASU GSV As I understand, it's uh, one of the best ed tech conferences in the world. And uh, we really uh, enjoyed talking to our counterpart uh, in other parts of the world. I found similar business models, uh, ideas that are different but very inspiring. Um, so when I actually started uh, doing ad there was no word for it. There yeah, was no yeah. ad tech, there was so no internet what education. what year was that? That was actually back in 2008. Yeah. Um, I, I was based in London at the time, uh, and I, I did apps for publishers, including Cambridge University Press, Oxford University Press, uh, Pearson, uh, you know, hill Macmillan, uh, That's fascinating. Plant. So
0: um, so the development for those publishers, yeah. was that your own company? Yes, it yeah. was my
3: startup. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and what was that called? It's called D and H. D yeah. was me and H was uh, my, my partner. Uh,
0: That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> Simplicity, uh, I love that.
3: Yeah. And uh, uh, we actually launched uh, one of the first educational apps. It was the Cambridge Dictionary uh, uh, on the App Store uh, in 2008. Interesting. And, and uh, we did English grammar use for for Cambridge. And, so you know.
0: are you quite tied in with the kind of London edtech scene? What is called now?
3: Maybe not too much anymore. I mean, I I I met with uh, uh, Namish or Namish from Show about, My Homework. So that was my uh, next question, was yeah. to
0: say, you know, our kind of um, sort of most prominent edtech success story would be Namish and, okay. and Show yeah. My Homework, yeah. and then yeah. I guess you have like a similar uh, model. business model. But uh, yes. obviously yes. in China, there's a far greater scope in terms of learners, parents, schools. Yeah,
3: absolutely. As I was saying, I think, you know, there's a global challenge that we are facing. Uh, we need to educate our uh, students to be able to face the future's challenges. And, and it's, it's common across all geographical regions. And uh, I think, you know, one way is, is definitely through technology. Uh, and I think people, you know, tech entrepreneurs all over the world see the same uh, challenge. And, mm-hmm. and in our view, it is the same opportunity. Uh, so, you know, like machine in the UK, like, uh, you know, lots of companies in the US. Uh, I met with a company in India, a company in Saudi Arabia um, that does similar things as well. And I think we can learn from each other and maybe as our name implies... Uh, complete this homework together. Yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that very collaborative and why I mentioned just as we set up that um, I really loved reading your bio because there's such a myriad of experiences in there so I just wondered if you could share the best bit with our listeners and what caught my eye was how you were involved with the Olympics
3: Uh as well. Yeah so I have always been passionate about sports I actually went to Millfield School in the UK which is known for for sports yeah and uh, I always wanted to do some service to my hometown as well. I was born in Beijing and uh, I think Olympic Games in Beijing was like the perfect combination. <laughs> I was working in UBS London at the time and I realized that this is something that that I just couldn't miss. My boss was kind enough to give me like a, a six-month suspension of my employment. That's uh, amazing. Uh, so I basically did a, 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 s- a sabbatical <laughs> in the Olympic Games and I think um, it actually changed my worldview um, because before there were uh, like words, like, for example, sitius, altius, fortius, which is a Olympic spirit, meaning uh, faster, higher, stronger. Yeah. Um,
0: Sounds like a Dalf Punk song.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that was a, a kind of empty for me yeah. before. But when I was actually, you know, I kind of had a sense of it when I was doing sports and watching sports, but actually being involved in the center of uh, the biggest uh, sports event in the world, uh, I actually believed in that. Uh, I, I saw the value firsthand from athletes, from from audience, um, you know, just the spirit. Um, and the Chinese Olympic game had this spirit of uh, one world, one dream. And I think it, it very much inspired me to set up um, my next two startups um, because I think, you know, we all have the same dream for for, for our future. We want our children to, to grow up healthily, happily, and we want them to learn well. And uh, we want them to you know, be peaceful with each other mm-hmm. and understand each other, see the world, uh, communicate with the world, understand themselves. I think these are all common values we share as humans. Before the Olympic Games, I kind of didn't really know who I am, um, who I was. And I would say I, I learned a lot from my first job in UBS. Yeah. Um, but I think it was not really something that uh, is uh, truly me. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I can, I in can that see where you're coming from yeah. yeah,
0: and so did you go out there as like a, um, um, a games mostly maker mostly like a volunteer. games time
3: volunteer yeah, um, but I was cool. involved for a long time so I was involved in different things I worked with a, a school classmate of mine called Deng Yaping, who was one of the most famous uh, ping pong players uh, in China and I actually there were uh, over 80,000 games time volunteers and over a million city uh, volunteers in the game and and I think the spirit of volunteerism uh, was also something that I, I experienced in the Olympic Games. And I think it, to, to some extent, uh, education is a, is a way to give. Um, and um, I was fortunate to have had a scholarship to go to the UK from a, a kind of a businessman, a rich businessman in Hong Kong. And uh, uh, when I got to university, I was uh, in Trinity College, Cambridge, and yep. I actually received a full scholarship from, from Trinity and I told him the good news and he's, he actually said, if, if you don't mind, I want to still pay for more than half of your tuition. And you can, uh, you know, give the other less than half to Cambridge um, because I want you to be my scholar. And I, and I asked him, you know, how, how I pay you back, uh, you know, and why. And he didn't say anything. And uh, at his 50th birthday, he took a few scholars of his uh, to watch a film called "Paid Forward. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, this value uh, also um, inspired me. To set up our education startups, I think the uh, the idea of education, as I was saying, was uh, giving, was uh, paying it forward.
0: And so now you have millions of users, and so will you become the billionaire that uh, you know has <laughs> the same scholarship? In the, in well, the...
3: we actually con- contributed to his scholarship because she, he still keeps uh, sending students uh, to to the UK and I think to the US as well. Now, I now uh, with a few scholars uh, set up a separate. Uh, award called fa- paid forward that's uh, so cool uh, for for one of the students every year yeah uh, and i'm also giving money to to cambridge uh to to my my schools because i think they are also paying it forward yeah by educating more, what a more cool students. story so it really yeah. went full circle exactly and I, th- I think that's the most beautiful feeling uh, yeah to be able to help other people's achieve especially achieve things that uh, they couldn't achieve uh, without uh, your help and so it was a very personal experience uh, for me i think if the, i had to choose one word that um, was most important for me in the english language i would choose education <laughs> uh, because it really changed my destiny that's and, amazing uh, uh, i think you know I, i'd love to give more people this uh, opportunity to be able to go through what i uh, similar experiences of what i went through and uh, change their destinies as well
0: So one question I have is, what do you think are the best and the worst parts of uh, Western and Asian education?
3: Mm, That's an interesting question. Uh, Well, I think there are good and bad parts of uh, any education system. And I think very much it is a reflection of the societal values. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm more familiar probably with the Chinese education because I'm a practitioner. So I'll start there. I think that the good part of the Chinese education, first of all, is that it is uh, very result-oriented. So, uh, you know, uh, I I think learning can be very fun, uh, but it's also somewhat serious. Um, uh, And it's it's not only serious; it's very. It's a lifelong process. You have to just keep learning and keep growing. And I I think, to some extent, that is a fun part of uh, it—that you keep challenging yourself and you keep raising the bar and uh, achieving things that you couldn't and going to places that you you couldn't. And I think the Chinese education system actually prepares students to uh, face. Uh, these uh, difficult challenges. Uh, you know, even when they were very young, they were given difficult math problems, for example, and uh, uh, you know, you're rewarded if you if you do well and you know solve these really difficult questions. And, uh, and I, I think, as a result, um, we have a lot of grit and perseverance, and uh, we, we you know we we still work very hard. Yeah, that's uh, very true. When we grow up, I think that's a good part of it, but also it is a bad part of it as well. I think um, because the Chinese education system is very competitive, there are just too many students but not enough spots, uh, especially in the good universities. Um, It becomes too competitive and um, um, I think there's two things, two main things. One is that um, the students tend to become selfish. They don't work with each other uh, enough and they try to compete with with each other. Um, And that reflects in the society as well. And the second thing is we focus too much on um, high-stake exams. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I do a startup, uh, you know, for example, I'm fundraising, I wouldn't be given a written exam. uh, Mm
1: -hmm. And I wouldn't
3: wouldn't be my company's valuation or the amount of fund I raise wouldn't be based on the score. And when I hire people, you know, I, I don't give them a written exam, at least not solely based on written exams. Especially when you're in the workplace, actually what you do, whatever job you do, is actually quite far away from uh, a written you know, exam, especially with uh, standardized answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are really things that we, we could improve on. Uh, And I think the Chinese government is uh, uh, realizing this problem. And we have introduced this new six new core competencies, uh, learning how to learn, learning how to live healthy, um, having a vast liberal arts background and uh, having a respect for uh, scientific uh, thinking, uh, being socially responsible and being uh, innovative, uh, practically. Uh, I think these are great signposts and great uh, future objectives.
0: And is that now part of the sort of broader curriculum? That,
3: that, that is uh, kind of the guideline for the national curriculum. So all the uh, so-called education reform in China should go th- through this direction, Inclu- includes teaching, includes learning, includes assessment. And uh, it, it will start uh, with some cities like Shanghai, Beijing, uh, but gradually will uh, spread across the country. And I, I think technology could also help with this process um, because uh, f- take homework, for example, before the teachers could only assess uh, recent homework. Because if the homework were to be, for example, go to a museum and, uh, you know, have some experience, um, they couldn't, you know, really submit uh, pictures or videos or write an essay or, um, you know, have an interview. Uh, But now they can pretty much do anything with uh, information technology. Maybe just a quick comment on uh, international education. I've been educated in the UK and the US. And I think uh, one really good thing is that um, it's more of a learner-centric education so that you have the freedom to become who you want to be and that's kind of different from the chinese education which is more teacher centric and i think it is reflected again in your society as well that um, even for choosing the heads of state uh, it is a kind of a learner-centric approach where you you know, you can choose uh, like from the very bottom. In theory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, but I think it definitely in, in education, especially well, uh, definitely in the schools I went to, I felt that I had a lot of freedom uh, to yeah. do what I did. And I, I, my, my background, my mm, concentration major was in uh, information engineering, but I chose courses like psychology, philosophy, music, uh, business, entrepreneurship. That you
0: could supplement and do Absolutely. alongside. Yeah. yeah.
3: And I think all of those helped. Uh, like Steve Jobs said, uh, connecting the dots. Um, now that I'm, I'm doing something real, I think those uh, things, liberal arts background, as the core competency was saying, really helped. And uh, I think maybe one thing that uh, the Western education could improve on is uh, the thing that the Chinese education was good at, which was um, giving the students uh, uh, more serious challenges and guiding the students with deliberate practice. Uh, because I, I think there's it's not good to have high-stake exams, but there's nothing wrong with having assessments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the deliberate practice. Improving on the areas that you're weak at, and part of the beauty or the reward of education or learning is um, you know, being able to do things that you couldn't do. Yeah, that and you didn't
0: think you, you you could do either.
3: Yeah, and I, I think my personal experience, at least, was that in especially academic subjects, uh, sometimes I was not guided enough, and you know, it was just too much freedom, and... Yeah. Uh, I guess it was partly because mm, it was not as competitive, uh, but also I think somehow s- some students would lose lose interest uh, because they didn't know where they were going yeah and, yeah. and uh, you know if you lose interest then it's the most uh, difficult problem then if you stop growing you know others are growing the, the, the world is still growing uh, I think that's that's kind of a uh, and you can something. never get that
0: time back, can you? So, exactly. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a. Time It's a one-way street, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you're obviously very close to the Chinese ed tech scene, I would have thought. So are there any other sort of companies or individuals or initiatives that you'd like to give a shout out to on the podcast in terms of um, exciting things that are happening in China around ed tech as well?
3: Mm. Well, I already mentioned my friend and my mentor's uh, scholarship called William Louis Foundation. Okay. I think one other project was not, a, it's not an iTech project per se. It was uh, called Teach for China. I think it's very much similar to Teach First. Uh, yeah, in, I think in the I saw UK. some
0: people were yeah, here. Yeah, some were
3: here. Uh, and uh, it was similar to Teach for America as well. Yeah. And so they recruit the best and brightest uh, graduates from universities, and, but to have them go through a two year program in the rural area of, uh, of China uh, to be a teacher. And actually, I think you can learn a lot being a teacher, especially in a rural village, interacting with students who most likely are not from the uh, similar social economic background as you. Yeah. I think that was a great project, and especially for someone who might be interested in exploring Oriental culture from the West, uh, I think it's, that's that's great. And we're working with them uh, for some um, charity projects as well. We're supplying those schools with uh, information technology, uh, giving the students more readers, but uh, digitally. Uh, so that they can they can listen to stories before they go to bed, for example. We have a teacher-parents communication platform because uh, lots of parents for those schools, they were not in the town. Uh, they were outside um, making money. Yeah, uh, yeah. So now with information technology, they could get uh, informed w- w- how their kids are doing. Also, also, they can communicate with their kids and practice with them together, maybe. In terms of ad tech initiatives... Uh, honestly speaking, I think for K twelve, without being too modest, <laughs> I think we're the most exciting model uh, Well, I was going to say.
0: So uh, one of my questions was about you know China's really the hot ticket in ed tech now, and it'd be really interesting to know from your perspective. So you obviously mentioned that I think it was two thousand and eight. Like whether your experience of international companies and people talking to Chinese ventures or educators whether that's got the balance in that conversation has changed because I'm sure now people are like so interested and they, you know, they, they know absolutely that, that so much innovation is coming from there.
3: Definitely. I mean, this is the third time I've come to this conference and uh, I think the first time, you know, I was on a China panel uh, every time and the first time I think there were maybe about 10 people in the panel. <laughs> really? uh, this time there are three China panels uh, yeah. in this conference and every time it was packed. On, on the one hand, there was definitely more and more interest in China. On the other hand, when I went, went to this conference three years ago, uh, I think I was among maybe five uh, uh, you know including entrepreneurs, investors and you know media uh, to have been here. Now we come in a group of like 50. yeah yeah. Uh, so I think there's definitely more and more interest on both sides. Uh, China is, is the biggest uh, education industry uh, in the world. Uh, because it's very competitive, Chinese parents you know, spend something like 30% of their family income on education-related uh, services and, and content and you know, school fees. And I, I think in terms of learning philosophy, uh, as, as I was saying earlier, uh, I think we can also learn from each other. So I, I, I definitely see China taking a leading role mm-hmm. in, uh, in that tech space you know, we are also thinking of expanding globally.
0: That's what, that's what I was going to ask. It's brilliant because you're teeing up all my questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. Which was, uh, yeah, I mean, is that what's next? So you're looking to expand internationally yeah. Yeah. as well?
3: Yeah, so, um, you know, on the one hand, as, as I said, we have uh, 40 million out of like, uh, you know, 600 million, uh, which we can uh, means we can still expand quite a lot uh, in China. But um, we, we already have a few users in Asia, uh, outside China, uh, I guess they are. They must be Chinese um, yeah. who live there. But I think it's very similar um, problem that we are facing. As I was saying, I guess maybe it's slightly different between developed countries and developing countries. So our strategy, at least for the next three years, maybe exporting mainly to developing countries like India, uh, maybe Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, you know, the Middle East, uh, Africa, South America. But doing more importing from uh, developed countries like U.S. and U.K. Uh, we already have some international partners like uh, Kaplan, for example, Cambridge. Uh, we have Moon Kang from South Korea who supplies with uh, picture books. Uh, we have some technology partner globally as well.
0: And so, for, uh, for other people listening in as well, who might be potential partners on the content side, are you looking for additional content that's probably tracked to those countries, their curriculums as well?
3: Absolutely. Yes, so as I was saying, Chinese education was kind of uh, too narrow. Uh, So, you know, the homework content we made ourselves, uh, and and we're only good at uh, those content, that is uh, synchronized with the Chinese uh, curriculum, and uh, only in those subjects, uh, Chinese, math, English, uh, physics, chemistry, etc. But there's so many more things to learn. For example, I talked to a coding company uh, here in the conference. I talked to a uh, STEAM-based education company here, talked to a company that teaches empathy, Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think something that we are really passionate about is uh, education for uh, students who need uh, special assistance as well. And, and those content, we can't really make ourselves. And uh, apart from these so-called serious learning, uh, actually, there's more casual learning as well. Like, for example, students may want to learn how to cook or um, you know, how to do a stand-up comedy show. Uh, <laughs> or I don't know how maybe they are just curious about the royal family yeah. in the UK and want to know why the queen considers the corgi uh, as the <laughs> family member uh, yeah yeah so it's a good question yeah. <laughs> i mean i i think this uh, those kind of questions are actually great because uh, you know it's it is cultural it's, yeah. a, it's cross-cultural so it's so,
0: almost like prep as well for if you've got uh, students that are going to go in abroad the, yeah, yeah abroad. yes
3: absolutely and uh, it, it can come both in forms of content all in forms of real people talking to each other. So apart from offering uh, additional content outside homework, we are now also introducing live broadcasting, so-called tutoring, but just communication. Like, uh, uh, you know, we have some cross-border communication as well, uh, currently mainly with U.S. tutors, uh, communicating with Chinese kids in English uh, and teaching them not just about English, but also about uh, American culture. Uh, and just can, able
0: to answer all those big questions they may have as well
3: absolutely, yeah, and uh, I, I think it would be great to have the kids talking to kids yeah uh, and uh, you know to have the maybe the parents talking to parents as well uh, yeah
0: Oh, I hear that more and more that that kind of uh, connectedness and you know peer to peer learning through the through the children. Mm-hmm. How many people do you have in your company now
3: uh, about a thousand
0: and so why do you look so relaxed
3: oh, <laughs> well i I think there's a great um sign in front of pretty much all schools which says um, a school ahead go slow and i think uh it is it's got a lot of wisdom yeah um i, I don't think it can ever be late for education and um some some of the greatest uh, educational institutions like like cambridge had over 800 years of history yeah uh, i th- i read a inspiring book called the finite versus infinite game and most of the games were designed as finite games, like uh, you know sports, mm-hmm. uh, chess. You know, e- pretty much everything designed by humans was finite games. But there was one game that is kind of infinite, and that is the game of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it is also the game of learning or growing. And um, I think doing a startup was kind of similar uh, experience. Uh, it's on the one side. You know, as i mentioned it's external you have uh, your partners you have your investors you have your users obviously you have uh, uh, your employees to take care of and your, your partners and your team uh, but um, very much on the other hand it is a conversation with yourself as well uh, you see through the things you do uh, your characters being uh, blown up uh, being uh, exaggerated and uh, especially uh, so, so-called bad characters, uh, your weaknesses, and uh, you know, by uh, solving these problems, you're actually uh, fixing your mind and, and your heart.
0: Because you're focusing on the right areas and yeah, right-
3: with, with, with without a better expression, yeah, uh, yeah you're gro- you're growing and learning yourself. And I I think that is also one core learning concept called learning by doing. And uh, you know, doing a startup is part of doing. Yeah, and uh, I think essentially the the core of education is not really about knowledge either. It is it is about uh, values, attitudes, uh, your character, uh, realizing your identity, and uh, choosing kind of your role I- in the society, and being able to contribute, and uh, and 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 even higher things like love and beauty, uh, seeking truth. <laughs> And, I love uh, this.
0: This is this is on a par with the um, Larry Avileto Lightner <laughs> episode because he is, also has a background in philosophy, which is really heartening to hear. Because I mean, that is those are the big questions: how you spend your life.
3: Exactly. And uh, I think you know, I'm just like everyone else. Uh, you know, we're all the same. We we want to ask these uh, ultimate questions. You know, how, how who we are and uh, uh, where we want to go. You know, I'm kind of relaxed because. It, you can answer these questions quickly uh, you just have to uh, be mindful and uh, uh, experience and live you know when you when you can live <laughs> laugh when you can laugh well yeah. that's a yeah. very
0: good message and um, so if people want to connect with you or follow what you're up to how was the best way for them to do that
3: oh uh, well there's many ways to to do it i think uh, m- maybe WeChat. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say it's the uh, most popular communication tool in in China. Yeah, and uh, you know I'd be more than happy to give out my number Should I do it now. Or, if you know? like to, yeah, uh, it's one five two zero one five six eight zero one two, which is also my mobile number in China. Yeah, uh, so you can.
0: You, you may can, have to change it in about a week. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I you know I I'd be very happy to talk to anyone, uh, especially. You know if you have some interest in education and i, I think our name is uh Homer together and uh, it mean, it means two things one is the narrow sense we work help with the teachers and parents to uh, help the students together but on the broader sense i think the schools the families and uh, you know the the, the society they, they they should all work together and it is our future that we are dealing with and we shouldn't take it too lightly. Mm-hmm. I think in general, there is not enough efforts spent in education uh, or resources. And I think we should really work together to solve this um, big challenge. And I, you know, very look forward to having any conversations with, with anyone who's interested in doing this.
0: And can we expect to see uh, Homework Together in the UK soon?
3: Well, I talked to Namish and uh, I believe in working with partners uh, yeah when I go to a new geographical region. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, personally, I definitely hope so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, How exciting. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you, Sophie. It was a pleasure.
0: So this episode of the EdTech podcast is on China and EdTech. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be speaking with Cindy Mai, founder and CEO of VIPKID. VIPKID recently became an EdTech unicorn, a company valued at $1 billion or more. Because of this recent turn of events, I was keen to connect with Cindy and get her perspective on what's going on in EdTech in China. So welcome, Cindy, and congratulations. Yes, thank you, Sophie. So Cindy, my first question, I've just read your fascinating startup story from classroom experience to leaving high school to meeting the head of Google China. Can you share some of that with our listeners and help paint the picture of how you got to where you are today?
4: Oh, absolutely. So um I started teaching young kids English when I was uh, fifteen years old, and that becomes a passion. And then uh, I've been uh, running my first company in a uh, brick and motor children's training business for the past almost twenty years before I started VIP Kid. So the whole experience has been, Valuable to me in terms of um, making me a passionate children's English teacher, as well as empowered me of uh, understanding what the pain points of the parents are, as well as the, the children's when they want to learn English. So then, uh, when I started VIP Kid, I thought, well, we should find the best teachers across the globe, and then definitely build the best content over the internet, and then create the most fascinating, engaging learning experiences online. So you know, that's the VIP Kid.
0: And, and as I understand it, so part of your experience was, you know, going to a school that was quite remote from, you know, where you were used to and not having a great time of it. So perhaps the alternative idea of accessing variety of tutoring styles until one fits what you want became apparent.
4: Absolutely. So um, just a little bit of uh, my past experience when I did move uh, from a very small town in Hebei to a bigger city, Uh, in Heilongjiang province called Harbin. So I think that experience made me really understand why children need personalized learning. Because I moved from one province to the other, and then we have a Gaokao system where if you are taught very differently over provinces, it's very hard to connect what you've learned. And then uh, children in um, Har- Heilongjiang province are very, very hardworking. They did a lot of extra tutoring class uh, during the winter holiday. And then when I started in spring, I'm already half a semester behind. And then uh, the result was you know, I can't really catch up. And then I, don't, I haven't really mastered anything w- of what they've learned. And as a student, a new student in town, I was totally left behind. And then my math teacher didn't like me. And then uh, I was, I've always been reading science fiction magazines in my uh, math class. And one day we just had a very big conflict of me and my teacher. And then she thought, you can't really do this. And then she kicked me out of the classroom. And then I thought, as a child, you really need personalized learning. Because if a child is inspired or empowered by the, the kind of personalized learning then um, she would have made up knowledge that she hasn't learned, and then catch up with the rest of the class, and then make excel in the other things she does. And then also for the teacher, I think she absolutely wants to help me. But then when you have sixty students to teach, some are talented, gifted students, and some you need an intervention. And then you, you can't really—you only have twenty-four hours a day. Right? You can't really do much to help everyone so um that experience taught me personally like what why personalized learning is so important and do you remember what child. this
5: science fiction was <laughs> i'm intrigued
4: oh i think it's about a martian story story <laughs> <laughs> it's just so hard to find a kind of sense of achievement here in the math class and then yeah. uh, you know the stories are really a great getaway and <laughs> but you know funny funny story is when i went to my MBA program many years later, I found myself doing pretty good in statistics in financial modeling and all the other, you know, math study classes. And then I thought, "Mm, if only I knew that in my middle school, I could have done better. (laughs) But that's what's really interesting is that, you know, I think that's the
0: experience that people have at work. So, you know, if you're in a work environment and suddenly you don't know something, people generally go off and quietly work out how to do things and then apply it, you know, the next day. And so, you know, essentially that's kind of what you're saying with the online learning that you can sort of supplement and fill in the gaps and catch up as well.
4: Yes, absolutely. Because technology is so amazing that you can always use use a lot of tools to make personalized learning possible. For example, when we connect children with all the amazing teachers across the globe, we're able to match the appropriate teacher to Mm -hmm. uh, a, a specific student. Right. So that way you make the student feel so motivated to learn and then connected to the teacher and then very helpful. And also with adaptive learning tools like our item banks or reading system, we're able to assist our students in their learning moments um, out of the classroom. So there are a lot of things you can do with technology to make personalized learning possible. So just to
0: go back, you actually left high school to deliver your bricks and mortar tutoring company with your uncle, which I love because, you know, you didn't go through that traditional education system, you know, uh, part one, part two, part three, you launched a really successful business already. And then you went back to school and then you launched VIP Kids. You know, there's a message there about sort of applying your learning
4: in sort of the real world, isn't there? That, that's true. Actually, learning and growing has been my motivation every day. It's my mm-hmm. motive. And then um, just constantly being able to learn new things and apply it and then create something new makes me really happy. And, and I think as a child, I think you have the whole universal potentials that you could unleash as you grow up. And then um, if a child is given a world, a platform where they can just imagine, explore, and, and be curious about everything... And then you know there 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 can be miracles. You never know that the, the child child can be the best person that she can be, and then uh, have the planet at her feet. So um, yeah. <laughs> so
0: in your opinion, who's driving the edtech wave in China? So do you think that's more on the school infrastructure side or personal learners and their families?
1: Mm,
4: I think absolutely uh, on the on the school side uh, the. Uh, The Chinese government is absolutely investing in edtech and in STEAM education to prepare the students for the future and therefore we've seen interest from schools in new edtech technologies. A lot of things are used in classrooms by teachers and and stuff. And then um, uh, I I think China government has invested a record of uh, 1.07 billion US dollars in edtech startups in 2015 alone. So there has been a lot of focus and uh, investment in the field. But then I think the major growth driver, though, uh, for attack Wave in China, um, like as VIP kid, is mostly from uh, families. I think mm-hmm. it's the big demand of a high quality education and also a efficient learning system that parents really want to have that is driving uh, the growth. For example, um, a few factors, I think. One of them has been the uh, We have the newborn babies every year has been growing since the the past five years, I think. Every year there are 17 million new babies born in China now. And then uh, we always have tiger moms and uh, parents just invest a lot of dollars in their children's after school supplementary education, right? And then um, if you think about the supply, particularly in um, the... English learning sector for the children, we have so few North American teachers that are teaching in China. They're, they're around 20,000 or so. So, com- compared to the gigantic demand, you never have a sufficient supply. And then, if you think about the content that has been taught in tutor supplementary schools, th- these are always curriculum that has been 20, 50 years old, right? So, children don't really enjoy the content. And then finally, uh, if you think about uh, like efficiency and efficacy, people spend a few hours in a brick-and-mortar classroom and then never get to review or preview any content at home, mm. and, and then parents spend the whole weekend accompanying children to learn. So online model can be much more effective and efficacious. So all these demands and also lack of supply and, and also um, models when teachers are dislocated and, and content are disconnected and then uh, experiences need to be reimagined, revealed has been the, the whole driver. And the, the driver behind this is uh, the, the families, I think.
0: That's so interesting because, you know, in China, you've got the baby boom and that's kind of funding a lot of the demand for new learning experiences and so on. And then I was speaking to a lady from Japan and she was saying that online learning is in demand there, but for the opposite reason. So they've got a um, declining birth rate and obviously some of their towns are therefore uh, you know as children leave are declining themselves and she said that usually what happens is the town the local town with the school the other village will send everyone there and then the other village will close and they don't want that to happen so they're using online learning to sort of help keep the education experience in both just so many applications of it but one question i wanted to ask was around the school's part of it so to what extent do teachers have freedom to choose various ed tech within their own schools or is that sort of prescribed at the school or the state level?
4: I don't think it's prescribed at a like city level mm. or uh, district level. I think schools and teachers has a lot of freedom to uh, choose a product that they, mm. they like and would fit in their like uh, instruction or communication with the students.
0: And for educators listening in, so I had a friend recently and she was asking me which tutoring company she should look up because she wanted to, to adjust how she worked. And obviously, I mentioned VIP Kid among others. But for educators listening in, how can they make the most of the online learning boom? And what would your advice be to them about choosing potential tutoring companies to supplement their income?
4: Oh, absolutely. I think for, for educators uh, uh, to use their Time out of schools to uh, work with online tutoring companies will be an amazing experience. And for anyone that is interested in applying to Teach with VIP VIPKid or just learn more, you, you're welcome to visit our website at vipkidteachers.com. And I think the way to choose or to find companies to work at would be just to log online and then see the Glassdoor readings, search on Facebook and then uh, YouTube, because uh, those social medias must have a lot of teachers' feedback. Mm. people who who's been working there are telling you exactly what's been going on the pros and cons like then with all these authentic uh, feedbacks i think teachers will be able to make the best decision for themselves and then in the case particularly if you go to youtube you'll probably find almost close to twenty thousand youtube videos created by vipk teachers Uh and um, many of them are has a thousands of views and hundreds of feedbacks. So, you know, read through those, you you, you you figure out who you'll be working with, like your fellow teachers and also the team uh, in uh, both uh, San Mateo and also here in Beijing. And I think teachers all love the APK that we have such a great community that teachers don't only um, communicate online. We have meetups in many, many cities in the US and Canada nowadays. There are 50, 60 of them every month. So it'd be really fun to not be able to just teach and make an income but also to communicate and uh, learn and grow together with uh, the fellow teachers.
5: Yes, I saw that
0: on your Twitter feed actually and about a meetup and also looking out for your teachers that were
4: involved in the area where the awful hurricane was recently. Yes, well my heart and our team's heart and students' heart are all with our teachers. We are so strongly connected together and we just want to do our best to um, make sure teachers uh, feel it and also will be able to do something to help them uh, going through everything that they've been going through. And the teachers are really amazing. They're, they're still trying to figure out a way to teach the kids because they don't want children to be disappointed during uh, the, the hard times, you know, the hurricane. And it's just a, such a small classroom when it's connected by the world of internet. And we're so grateful to be working with all these amazing teachers.
0: <laughs> so that brings me on to my next question. So you've had massive success with tapping into U.S. tutors for Chinese learners. Will you seek to do the reverse and help us in the UK and US to connect with amazing Mandarin tutors in China?
4: Absolutely. So we just launched the Lingobus, our online Mandarin tutoring service to 5 to 12 year olds across the globe, tutor who want to learn Mandarin in an immersion style with uh, our best teachers. So VIPKIT has got students from over 32 countries and regions in the world already. And then we see our mentoring program, Lingobus, bringing along all together two students from many more countries. And uh, our first student actually come from Japan, second from India, and also uh, many more of them come from uh, North America because it's mostly where our teachers are. And then teachers are teaching online. They they trust the way of learning. They believe in it, actually. And then they want their children to learn Mandarin because Mm -hmm. they they think it's the best way and they trust in the etiquette brand. And then uh, in the future, I think, because we're using Common Core-based curriculum today, but uh, our dream in the future would be definitely to build a global online cloud school for like every children that uh, we, every child we can help in the world. Our mission is to uh, inspire and empower every child for the future to teach them love of learning and competency for the future. And then um, you know, we hope that we can uh, reimagine you know learning as we uh, continue to uh, develop uh, VIPKID teacher community content and also technological platforms.
0: Oh, this is really fascinating. And how will VIP kids also manage the, the kind of automation of language learning? So I've got a call coming up in the future with Waverly Labs and their pilot Earpiece, which uses certain technology to, in theory, translate automatically what someone's saying to you into your ear. So will that kind of negate the need for learning a language directly, do you think? Or how will you anticipate that kind of development in the market?
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, what VIPKID is, the team is working on, is not just to teach the language, uh, mm-hmm. we we're hoping our vision is to be the, the leader of global Kit 12 education, so our product and service today at VIPKID Lingobus is not just about the language, it is about the content, we're teaching language and arts, reading, we're teaching math and science, social studies, so we're really hoping that we are connecting cultures where hmm. we're teaching beyond the language. And then the real opportunity here for online learning platform like VIPKid is to leverage data and to connect uh, like meetings of students and teachers and then through all these data connections, figure out learning science and then understand how learning is actually happening between teachers and students and also among all these other components like content assessments and everything else. So so what we're trying to do is, you know, we're, we've been working on all these data analytics and, our, of course, our AI technology to better empower and, uh, and enable our teachers and students so that in the future, we can just make the program even more efficacious and also be more efficient and then build this online cloud school that we don't only serve affordable families with one-on-one, but also... All the other programs that uh, we can build and significantly reduce the cost and then making le- like high quality learning affordable to every family on the planet. So we, can't, we can we have translation machines all we want, but uh, this would never replace the connection, the culture, mm. um, the, the, the learning science and then uh, everything that uh, we've been building around.
0: Human connection. Yeah, I agree. Okay, final two questions. So, there's a well-documented lack of diversity within edtech funding, leadership, and design. As a female-led business, which has just smashed the one billion US dollar mark, what advice could you share on your experiences, good and bad, which may help others who are forging the same path but with a little further to go?
4: Well, I think my first, uh, uh, my first thinking here would be um, my focus um, is always being on an educator first, mm. and then I, the kind of never think about in terms of whether it's female-led or it's male-led, because sky is the limit. And if you don't limit mm-hmm. yourself, um, you would be able to focus on the most important things, like quality of teaching, student learning outcomes, and curriculum. And then that's something that is very important to me. But also with that said, I think my uh, experience being an English teacher since I was 15 years old really helped me, because as a teacher, I'm, I'm very confident in my uh, ability and my team's uh, ability to build the galactic with the best education product. And then I have so much faith in the team. You know, we have a very startup mindset and also executives, almost half of them are female leaders, but then we wouldn't really uh, dwell on being female leader or male leader in this uh, very uh, authentic discussions mm-hmm. going on on the team as well. But I think, however, being a woman in education has advantages, I think it's really important to have empathy. Uh, I think it's a big word today in business. And then it's important to get people to trust in the brand and then advocate for the brand mm-hmm. to be able to have the best team. And then female leaders are naturally empathetic. And then we're, we're able to resonate with our Colleagues, with our users or students and parents, and and our teachers, and I mean, these would really help I'd encourage everyone to use um, this advantage, and then um, build, of course, the best education product ever possible. Because I think with student at the core, because. If we're doing ed tech, we're doing, technolo- we're doing edu- technology, but we're doing education, essentially. Mm. So why we're doing education? We're teachers, parents, ed tech practitioners. Everyone is just building the whole new world together for the students. So if we can put them at the core, thinking about them every minute of our lives, and then uh, spending every dollar we have on building the back <laughs> for them, then nothing else matters, right? So. <laughs> and do you have any
0: books or resources or people that you'd like to share with our listeners, so who may be interested in China and edtech and the developments? Are there any things that you would recommend they go and look up or read or
4: you'd like to share with us? Oh, right. So I think I I love two books. These are not uh, China edtech specifically, but uh, I love them very much. One of them is the Khan Academy book. And then the other is a book from Sheryl Sunderberg, The Ling Yin. So I think one of them just helps me to think big and think further into the future and how we can change the world with that to attack and then the other book really answered a lot of questions i have about why sky's the limit and then as a female leader how you could have handled a lot of things uh, in a business world
1: and what's the
0: best way for people to get in contact with VIP Kid or connect if they're listening and they're
4: excited to listen in so if if you're if you're listening and you're an educator you'd like to work with us so please check on uh, vipkidteachers.com and then uh, also our facebook page uh, as well if you want to get in touch with us about other things
0: okay fantastic so we'll add those links in and Cindy it was a pleasure to speak to
4: you
1: Thank
0: you, Sophie. So it's the second day of ASU GSV. And I've just come back from this morning's keynote, which was all focused on Chinese EdTech and some of the opportunities there. So I'm especially delighted this morning to uh, welcome Yi Wang, CEO of Liu Liu Shaw. I'm probably going to pronounce it incorrectly, Very good, Sophie. Uh, to the EdTech podcast. So the company is described as the first AI English teacher. So can you expand a little bit about that and um, what you're doing here at ASUGS?
6: Sure. Uh, Thank you for having me, uh, Sophie. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, so we are one of the leading language education companies in China. Uh, We are a 100% mobile company with over 42 million registered users, making us one of the biggest of its kind. Not only do we focus on mobile language learning, but also we are the, the first uh, in China, I'm not sure if it's in the world, but uh, we are definitely one of the few companies that entirely focus on building AI teachers instead of doing online tutoring as a lot of the companies do these days.
0: Yeah, so rather than paying a teacher a bit of extra cash to do additional tutoring work, it's essentially an AI tutor or a sort of cognitive. Computing. i mean how would you describe that yes
6: uh so let me sort of visualize it for you okay uh first of all it's a mobile app and you basically interact with this quote-unquote ai teacher in the app it's a dynamic program okay it has lots of illustrations animations and the entire user experience is dynamic and gamified and you went in you would be guided through a series of activities or exercises or challenges, however you want to name it, then the the entire uh, path is dynamically adjusted and constructed for each and every individual uh, student. So every student comes in, he or she would start with a so-called placement test, uh, which itself is actually a dynamic test. And at the end of the test, we will recommend the appropriate starting point for you and the student will start from there. And as they make progress, their learning path will start to differ. Yeah. And uh, we recommend uh, the sequence such that it maximize his or her learning efficiency, meaning that our engine, the AI teacher's brain, optimize for the fastest progress you can make to reach your goals.
0: So for example, so if you're an average beginner learner with very basic understanding of English, how long might it take you on the platform to to become competent enough to go and have a business meeting, say?
6: Um, that's a good question. So, in order to give you that answer, let me, you know, sort of give you some background, okay? Yeah. So, there is the the classic framework of language proficiency called the Common European Framework of Language, called the CEFR it basically divides up the language proficiency into six levels, A1, A2, B1, B2, That's and C1, right, C2. Yeah. Okay? And it says, it takes about, you know, between 1,000 and 1,200 hours of study to go from, you know, beginner at ground ground level to near native, very front level. Okay? In comparison, students in China typically spend between 2,000 and 2,500 hours of study at school from the beginner level all the way after they finish college. But the result of that is 90% of Chinese young adults can't have a meaningful conversation in English. Their reading is very good. Their yeah. vocabulary might be good, but just they can't really have a conversation. Okay. Our course, our AI teacher, can actually cut down that amount of time down to between 400 and 500 hours. And... Uh, to back it up yeah. let me give you uh, some real hard data that we've tested with okay between last April and last June uh, we did a 400 people test uh, with uh, ETS you know we, who produces the the TOEFL and GRE tests uh, this is how we did it okay we recruited 400 volunteers and they you know, agreed to only study English during that two-month period using the AI teacher with the AI teacher on the, on their mobile phones. And before and after the two-month period, you know, we actually commissioned ETS to run tests, specifically the toic Bridge test. You know, whose score maps to the CFR very well. Then we looked at their scores before and after the two-month period. What we found out was that sixty percent of these volunteers have improved at least one complete level in the CFR framework and the CEFR recommended that at the lower level which uh, you know most of the volunteers were at the A1 or A2 level typically takes 100 100 hours of study yeah. to go up one level but for those 60% of people who did improve at least one level on average they only spent 36.5 hours of study
0: wow that's incredible and I'm just trying to visualize how the platform looks is is the sort of I'm AI tutor. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to have a look. Is, is it an avatar? Is it something like Duolingo or Busu or
6: um, it's uh slightly different. Okay, as you can see, it, I'm studying level 3 unit can 1. Can I just
0: say it's really refreshing that uh such a successful CEO also has a cracked iPhone screen?
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's like uh-huh. standard. Yeah. That's brilliant. I love that. Okay, thank you. <gasps> <laughs> she didn't get up until 7 o'clock 30 minutes later than usual Today, Kathy and her kids left home early And I can repeat Today, Kathy and her kids left home early Today, Kathy and her kids left home early and so
1: Today, Kathy and her kids
0: left home early It tracks the pronunciation and.
6: Yes, yes, you know It, it encourages you to uh, speak up Yeah Okay Uh, So, it really focuses on, you know, listening and speaking. And uh, we adopted a learning theory put forward by an American scholar called Lance Nose. Okay. Uh, His learning theory is called RHR, the Recursive Hierarchical Recognition. Okay. Okay basically brings uh, years of uh, teaching experience together with the latest development in cognitive science, cognitive neuroscience and uh, second language acquisition.
0: Very interesting. Can you repeat that for everyone?
6: Yeah. The name of the the... The learning theory is called RHR, recursive hierarchical recognition. Okay. It basically says you know the language f- fluency and uh, automaticity is built upon, you know, a hierarchy of concepts. And you start with a simple one, for example, an iPhone. And I'm like, you know, the boy is holding an iPhone. And then I saw a boy holding an iPhone. Yeah. You see, you know, you can construct the sentences structures from the simple ones to the more complex ones.
0: There's a mobile gaming studio in the UK who have developed a, a mobile game to enhance learning of languages, mm-hmm. they're called Wibu, to help learn, I think they've got Spanish, Portuguese and English, you know, back and forth. And their CEO referenced the work of language acquisition theorist Stephen Krashen. I think it's a sort of similar idea, like, you know, you start with your basic premise and then you kind of add one on, add one on kind of
6: thing. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, you. I don't know if you noticed you know, there's no translation, no subtitle of any kind. It's very immersive. Yeah. You know, you at the lower level, the students primarily do, you know, listening and speaking exercises. That's the most efficient way to actually help you build up anything from, you know, vocabulary, grammar to, uh, you know, uh, automaticity and in- influencing. okay? So, we don't, like, do translation-based approach like you know, some other programs do, like Duolingo. They do translation-based approach. We think that's actually, you know, relatively inefficient uh, and outdated learning theory. So, um, so we actually, whatever we do, we try to maximize the learners learning efficiency. We think that's very important.
0: And did you say you have 46 million users?
6: 42 40 registered 42 million registered users.
0: Wow. So how did you go about acquiring so many users? Is that through partnerships? Is it direct to the learners? Is it through
6: schools? Uh good question. Actually, we uh, went straight B2C. Yeah. We we grew by word of mouth. We didn't actually have marketing team until this past <laughs> January like three months ago. And how
0: many people are in your team now?
6: Right now we have over 400. We, okay, yeah, wow. You know, one year ago we were only like less than 100. We've been growing very rapidly. Yeah. So just, you know, um, to give you a little bit more background about how we grew, we launched in February of 2013. Okay. And uh, within the first week, one day we saw our traffic sort of shot up and we realized and then later that day we realized we were recommended by Apple uh, on the front page of the App Store as as a featured new app in in mainland China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and uh, that must
0: have been a happy day. No,
6: um, <laughs> you, um, of course you, we, we we were thrilled. Then you know, later that year we were featured as the selected app of the year for the App Store and became the only App Store essential app in the education category in China. So as a result of that, our app uh, has been pre-installed in all demo iPhones throughout Apple's retail store in China. And uh, I do want to let you know an anecdote which is kind of related. Apple's global uh, senior VP of marketing, Phil Schiller, came to visit us in our office uh, last year.
0: Yeah, I think I may have seen a photo of that on social somewhere maybe. Yes, yes,
6: maybe. And and the the funny thing is that I asked him to try out our, our app and specifically our proprietary speech evaluation engine. You know, you you read after the sentence and give you instant feedback on your pronunciation. I intentionally picked a very simple sentence, and he got it wrong twice. <laughs> the first time, eighty-three out of one hundred, and he got the word a r e in red. This cannot be happening. I mean, like, please try it a second time. He did it a second time, eighty-five out of hundred. Still, he the the word a r a r e was in red. I tried it. I got ninety-two. Every word is in green was in green. I'm like, no, this cannot be happening.
0: So that's interesting. So
6: So let me tell you why. I'm
0: just wondering if it's dialect, if it's accent.
6: Exactly. So after uh, you know, a few seconds of silence in the room. <laughs> massive awkwardness. <laughs> I know. It felt a lot longer than that. Then Phil said, Aha, I knew why. He said, I'm from Boston. So in my Boston accent, you know, the the R actually becomes silent after the vowel, you know, so the R, you know. Right. So so that 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 moment, I was like, really? Are you? Is he just being nice? But then I look it up on Wikipedia, and really found that phenomena. I'm like, okay, seems our engine can actually detect yeah. very small nuances in pronunciation.
0: And so how will you tackle that though? Because I met a lady here on the plane, she's Welsh and like, you know, obviously it's still pronounced English. It's just spoken in a different way.
6: Yes. So... One of my co-founders, Dr. Hui Lang, he was a research scientist on Google's speech team before we started this company together. So we built this engine with American accent as the training sort of corpus, speech corpus. Yeah. Okay. And uh, over time, we actually accumulated the world's largest speech corpus of Chinese speaking English. So today, our speech assessment engine performs better and more accurately than any other engine in the world, uh, specifically for the task of scoring pronunciation and other speaking aspects of Chinese English learners. Right now, actually, we don't only give you scores on your pronunciation. We can actually uh, evaluate pronunciation, grammar, vocabulary, fluency and coherence, all different dimensions, and actually pinpoint your mistakes.
0: There was a presentation last night about voice services and and how that might be integrated. And I just wondered, you know, what what will be coming next for your service, but also whether I'm sure lots of the people listening in will be thinking about, okay, that's amazing. When's the sort of, um, you know, UK to China version coming that they can get on board with as well. Have you got any plans to flip it and do it the other way around?
6: Yeah. You know, a lot of our uh, expat friends (laughs) have asked for that. Yeah, so, yeah, I would say, you know, so far, um, you know, our focus has been on English, which is a massive market in China globally. Yeah. Uh, We'll probably take our product to the global market first, like later this year, with our general English product, uh, which can help learners across different age groups to to improve. Um, Then also the test prep market. You know, we have test preparation uh, products for IELTS, and uh, very soon coming up TOEFL, and the other tests. Yeah. I yeah. think we can use uh, AI technologies to really help them, you know, get get the scores and the abilities that they want to have uh, with much less time.
0: And one area I could see it quite easily developing into is, you know, if you get your best students that go through it, perhaps they're, you know, they're, they're the kind of top grade students and you have, um, you know, a, a knowledge of who those are, whether they could, um, you know, you could quite easily then have a data bank of these are the best English speaking students we have, whether that's um, useful for connecting those people with potential employers. I don't know, I'm just thinking about like ways that it could develop and what's, what might be next. <laughs> you, you're
6: absolutely right. You know, uh, one interesting aspect of what we've been doing is actually the social element. Very naturally, uh, we, our app evolved from just a, a simple practice tool on mobile into China's most vibrant and uh, active language learners community. Yeah. You know, you will see a lot of quote-unquote opinion leaders, they've been posting their own content their own podcast on a variety of topics, uh, you know, related to English. Some of them are like, you know, they, they're just huge fan on TV shows and movies. They would just host a, a podcast on that theme. And some of them on something else like how, how to teach your, ch- your children English. Uh, that's exactly, you know, the social element that helped us grow. And in fact, uh, uh, some of the big companies like Trip, you know, the Hainan Airlines, even, you know, Lear, the U.S. companies, a lot of companies started to adopt our product, even first without us knowing it, uh, you know, to train their employees.
0: Going off on a bit of a tangent, so you met your partner at a foot massage place (laughs) <laughs>
6: uh, <laughs> yes it's interesting you mentioned it's actually not my, my not my partner but uh, a, a, a dear friend
0: okay Okay. Yeah.
6: so that was uh, in the summer of 2012 uh, I was just introduced to the former chief scientist of Amazon uh, Mr. Andres Weigand and I said, hey, hey, Andres, would you like to uh, you know, grab dinner uh, sometime? And he said, no, 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 let's go to the, this foot massage place. <laughs> you know, I, I go there every week. They're awesome. And it's quiet and we can chat. So we went. And uh, this very young uh, masseuse, uh, this young guy who definitely haven't gone to college from my read, uh, he was talking to us while he was in, uh, giving the massage to, to, to Andres. He said, you know, I really hate my job. I want to learn English and find another job, and Andres was like, "No, but but you're so good, you're so, <laughs> you, you you your skill is so good, you know why, why do you want to change, right? So because that's a very low yeah. job in China, and uh, you know it's it's hard, it's hard work, right? And then we asked him, how do you plan to learn it? You know what's your plan? He said, "I'm gonna buy the book, New Concept English Book One. Have you heard of that book? It actually came from." England. And okay. it, it was very famous, still very famous in China for the next like, last like 40 years or something. And he said, you know, I'm going to read the book and I will listen to the, 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 the audio, you know. Okay. So I asked him, what kind of phone do you use? He said, I, I have a knockoff Android phone. And uh, I asked him, what if there was, the, what, there was this app that can sort of push Content to you that are you know for your level and can help you improve quite efficiently, not only to read, but to actually also help you with your listening and speaking and you know you, so you can find a you know better job. He said, "I need to try it first, but uh, if it actually worked as as you described, yeah, I'll be willing to pay." I said, "You know what about three RMB, three yuan a day, sorry ninety yuan." 90 IMB, which is pretty much like 12 to $15 a month. He said, no problem. Because the money I'll be making, uh, you know, had I got a new job, will pay for itself very quickly. So then, you know, the rest of the day was just chatting with Andres about how big of a market this can potentially be. So that was sort of the, the aha moment for me to think, okay, there is this one, you know, masseuse uh, right in front of me. Uh, but uh, I think I can see many, many people just like him.
0: In his position, yeah. Yeah, in
6: his position, you know, across country.
0: So we need to get more entrepreneurs going to foot massage places well, to get that yeah, hard. moment. maybe that's a good idea, <laughs> you
6: know, to, to sort of get a different perspective.
0: And then, you know, your investors so far includes investors that have invested in Airbnb, Slack, Alibaba, and Tencent. Yes, that's that GGV,
6: right? GGV Capital.
0: So, like one of the questions I always ask people, "Are there any books, people, resources that have inspired you and that you continue to go back to that you would like to share with other people? So it doesn't have to be necessarily anything specifically to do with what we're talking about today, but more that have kind of shaped you and helped sort of guide you when you're making your decisions about where your business is going or where where you're going. <laughs>
6: Yes. Yes. Specifically, I, I can think of uh, two books. The first book is uh, Peter Thiel's Zero to One. Okay. Yeah. Even before I read his book, I was following his Stanford course, uh, CS 183, the course. And basically that book was just um, a, a, a richer version of his course notes. In one of his lectures, he said something like this. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Okay. Uh, a startup idea is really some kind of a secret it basically you know it's some very few people's introverted thinking uh, and the beliefs it cannot be some actually proven but if you believe in this you just make it make it happen yeah <laughs> so that's my interpretation of that but the second book is just you know about Howard's uh, the hard things about hard things uh, okay. Things about hard things yeah so uh, that book basically taught me that whatever challenge you face today it's normal. Even the greatest founders and the CEOs, they faced probably more challenges and more challenging ones than, than what you are facing today.
0: I don't know if you saw Michael Moe's presentation last night. It was on exactly this. So it's mm-hmm. sort of Abraham Lincoln's pretty much got turned down at every sort of political hurdle that he had. And then-
6: I know, just by by reading yep. by reading the first four chapters of that book, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> there's no way that you can make it <laughs> right every at the every turn of the story mm. but he made it he yeah, made it big yeah. right so and throughout his book whenever he faces uncertainty and challenges he has a tendency to really ask the the fundamental questions and uh, you know make the quote unquote right decision yeah. instead of the obvious or the easy ones that's what we've been doing and that's what i've been telling my team
0: two good recommendations and then personally how do you relax what kind of ticks your boxes and what kind of person do you think you are in terms of how you relax and what you enjoy personally
6: my two co-founders. I just went to the ball game last night. Uh, you know, the last game between the Warriors and Jazz. So, so yeah. So that was fun. That was a good relax. And you uh, know, in my spare time, I like to spend time with my two young boys. Yeah, oh, yeah very yeah, nice. They're six and four. I like to you know <laughs> go go play with them in the in, in the parks. And uh, yeah, and do I do like to hike? And yeah, I, and and I I play badminton.
0: If people want to connect with you or find out more, how can they best go about doing that as well?
6: Yes, um, actually, they can check out our website. It's com, or they can just email me at yi at com.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today.
6: Uh, Yes. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Uh, Sophie. It's great talking to you. And always, folks, you can also LinkedIn with me. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Yes. I'm just YI, last name W A N T. And
0: and we will put that in the show notes as well.
6: All right. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you. So it's fantastic to have Sophie Chen partner with JMD EDU on the line. So Sophie, first of all, what are the top things international companies should consider when expanding into China?
7: Okay, so yeah, we're seeing more and more international companies are more and more interested to coming to the China market as the market size and opportunities uh, is very promising and huge. Here are the few things I think international companies should consider before they decide to enter. So first is they need to find the new market product fit in the China market we're seeing uh, a lot of companies coming to china and hope that their product will work as they are in uk or in us but there's a lot of localization should be done when they're entering into the china market this is the first thing and the second is to find the right partners and get into the ecosystem and community to really understand the china market and also i believe Patience is also very important because the market is different and the the environment is different. So it needs time to understand and needs time to fit in.
0: And do you see a lot of international education institutions, so whether that's schools or universities coming to China as
7: well? Yes. Yes. There are a few, especially like international schools, international private schools. We have some UK brands that's entering into the China market.
0: And do you think the localization is just as important for those guys as well? Yes, because first
7: for for the schools, they have also, I would say, government regulations or even more strict government regulations on how to build a full-time school in China. So the the curriculum or the teachers could be more original, but how do you uh, deal with the government? How do you recruit Chinese students and how to put the Chinese curriculum that the government needs to be in the full-time school in China these are all things that you have to be localizing.
0: Brilliant. What are the biggest questions Chinese companies have about coming to the UK? Yeah so of course if they're entering
7: into the UK market the big question is like the go to market strategy in the UK like how the school system work in UK? how do they sell into the UK school system and where are the channels? or if they are customer product what are the learning behaviors and what are the learning demands that are in the UK
0: market and are you finding a lot of interest from Chinese companies that want to come to UK or is it seen as quite a small market versus obviously the potential even domestically with China mm so
7: Chinese companies do give
0: more attention on the Chinese market as well because
7: it's the market that they know. But we also noticed some companies are more ambitious of the international market. So UK would be an entry point for them, especially the technology side of if the products more technology and a tool, meaning that they are more universal, not like education content. They're like online course platform or like a learning tool. They will be thinking of the uh, like international market.
0: Thanks very much for the time as well. Okay, thank you so much. I'm delighted to welcome Peyu, head of the EdStars program at Tao Education. So
5: welcome. Hi, Sophie. Thank you. And so first off, so what what is the EdStars program? So EdStars was funded in 2004. So it's basically powered by two of the leader um, enterprises in China. One is Tao Education Group uh, and the other one is Tencent. The, the mission of the of the program is to you know like find out who is in the market and who is doing great in the education entrepreneurship field and then empower them with training and other resources to help them grow so it's a learning network for education enterprises in china
0: that's amazing and if i understand correctly so vip kid is the first female led edtech enterprise and that's from china uh, that was announced at the end of last week
5: Yeah, so Cindy was also uh, in our program um, as well. What types of companies do you also have on the program? Uh, We actually have a lot of them right now because we started in 2004 and so far it's been three years. And then we basically recruit companies batch by batch. So it's, it's our fifth batch right now. And then every class we have 36 companies in the program. So right now, we actually already had 180 companies joining the SRS program. And then this year, we also launched a special program for Artistics, mm. um, Sports, and those programs. So we're, we're actually starting a new, new batch for, mm. for them, and that class is going to be 50. So altogether, we have 230 uh, companies already in the network. And up to this
0: point, have those companies been more focused on, for example, K-12 to or preparatory stuff, so doing testing or online learning or gaming? Has there been a particular focus or a variety?
5: Actually, not necessarily. It's, it's, a, it's a good variety of group. We're actually trying to you know, build, a, build a variety of programs um, within so that people can learn from each other's very different experiences as well. And you
0: mentioned doing the cohort of 50 companies that are sort of almost extracurricular, so swimming and and steam and so on. Are you finding that there's a bigger appetite for that kind of learning in China going forward? Or I'm
5: just interested, why now? Sure, we're definitely finding a trend of interest Mm. um, in that field. And then actually, our, our mother company, so TAL Education Group, has made some big investment in some of the leading companies in the extracurriculum programs as well. So we definitely think it's think very positive of it.
0: And for those companies that join the Edstars program, obviously there's a huge incentive because you get the expertise and backing of Tel Education and Tencent, who I think also have an education prize, don't they? The Yidan Prize. Yeah. Why are they joining Edstars? Is it to expand internationally or what else do they look to the program to provide?
5: Yeah, very good question. So that actually goes back to why we started the program. So the program was started three years ago, and then it was just a very uh, spontaneous thing. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot of companies coming to us and started asking questions about, oh, so you guys have worked in the market for uh, many years, and then we would love to speak to you guys. And then Maybe maybe we can you know find learning in each other. So at that time we thought, oh, if, if so many people have that needs, why don't we just, you know, organize a group so that we can chat with everyone together to increase the efficiency. Um but then later on we we realized that it's actually, you know, it's it's one thing that we found it's, it's meaningful when we are supporting other players within the field and then getting the industry uh, going together is actually also beneficial for us as well. That's mm-hmm. first. And also, I think that for us, we are a 14 years old company already. Uh, and then talking with those uh, startups um, in the in the field that has, you know, like new ideas, new models is also really inspiring for us as well. So so then we started, you know, the program officially as almost like a study school for entrepreneurs in education field in China. And then we, we, we also talked with a lot of people who decided to join the program around, uh, you know, why they decided to be part of it. I think that there are mainly a couple of reasons. So first of all, obviously, people really are really eager to learn. Learn from what other people have been doing, you know, what's the secret for other really successful education companies. Uh, like Cindy was, is actually one of our tutors as well. Mm-hmm, um, cool. Also, as other very successful entrepreneurs uh, within the field as well. Also, people are eager to learn what's happening outside of education. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we had a former CEO of Alibaba, mm-hmm. um, Mr. David Wei. Um, he's one of our longtime tutor as well. And also, we had the founder of Baidu, Mr. Lei Ming, who, who is actually uh, also a real expert in artificial intelligence yeah. in China as well. So they come in with expertise from other industries, from investments, from tech, from other really different industries as well, but coming with inspiring ideas for education leaders as well. So I think that mm-hmm. learning is definitely a big part of it. Also, the other thing is, Since it's growing, it's becoming a a sort of big (laughs) network right now. So joining the network really means that you get real collaborations and then communications with other S-Stars network companies as well. So a lot of collaboration just naturally happened after they joined um, S-Stars. So amazing tutors and mentors
0: you have on the program. I can hear the questions that our listeners will be asking, which is, um, do you also take international tech companies onto the program or is it purely
5: for Chinese companies? Mm. Actually, this year we have a couple of international companies in the program as well. So for example, we are for the actual curriculum program, Wonder Workshop is going to be uh, one of the classmates within that batch. We also had ABC Mouse our fifth batch as well. The only challenging part is that because all the curriculums that we have within the the program is actually in Chinese. So it's it's still a real challenge for um, international entrepreneurs to be part of it. But if you have a a office in China and then having, you know, like a China CEO, we totally welcome you to, you know, look into the program and then uh, explore opportunities to be part of it. That's very
0: cool. And if people want to find out more, what's the best way for them to go about that?
5: Sure. Um, if people have WeChat, that would be great. So we actually have a WeChat account. So if you search at stars, E-D-S-T-A-R-S, you will be able to find us. Lovely. Well, thank you so much. That's really,
0: really fascinating. I've learned a lot as well. Thank you so much. end of this fourth episode from the 10-part ASU GSB Summit series. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to find out about our upcoming meetup drinks, cool jobs currently circulating and other announcements. For full references, show notes and book recommendations go to theedtechpodcast.com and for competitions and more go to our Facebook page www.facebook.com forward If you like what you hear, why not drop us a loving review on iTunes and come back next week for our following episode on educational reform. Have a great week.